0: let us come to God in prayer. Let us pray. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. You'll be glad to hear maybe that this is the penultimate week Of our nine-week series on this parable and these parables in Luke chapter 15 and next week at the Sunday school closing service we round off this series last week we explored the robe and the ring despite technical issues in the parable of the prodigal father and we saw that these symbolized pardon and position for the younger son We asked ourselves whether we as adopted sons and daughters of God were sharing in the great adventure of faith. Are we living out our pardon and position? Or have we tamed the life of faith to something comfortable, something familiar, but something less than God wants for us? We asked those questions amidst a weekend of welcome where we were all encouraged to invite someone along to church. And it was heartening to see around a dozen or so newer faces, which is about 9% of our weekly average attendance. So I was heartened by that. We did that weekend of invitation amidst the Thy Kingdom Come prayer movement, which is an international, interdenominational season of prayer where the church at large across the world is called to pray, and especially to pray for others to come to faith in Jesus Christ. We partnered in both these initiatives because to introduce people to Jesus, to be part of their journey of faith, where they come to trust and follow Jesus as Saviour and Lord, well, that's one of the greatest adventures we can participate in, because as we heard last week, God is on an adoption adventure, and by that He seeks to heal our broken world. This isn't about evangelism or conversion for their own sake. This is about participating in the very mission of God, at the heart of which, at the heart of which, is people coming to know Him and being reconciled to Him through Jesus. And so, helping people to know and follow Jesus is a key way of sharing in that adventure with God, a key way of sharing in something that takes us beyond comfort and what is familiar. The how of doing this in our current society is one of the greatest quandaries of our time, and we often do not feel equipped or ready to participate in this part of the adventure. I'm reminded though of a colleague's third year theological project which she shared with me. She compared mine, I compared her, hers and uh, hers was probably better. Hers was about mission in the 21st century, mine was a bit more theological and she explored a variety of issues but within that project she included this quote, it is lengthy and a weeb, wee bit uh, technical but hopefully you can engage with the meaning of it. The challenge for the church is to recognize that while not all of what postmodernity stands for is good, there are values that this generation holds that provide a key for how the church could communicate the message of Jesus Christ to a very post-Christian generation. If you want to read over it at home, the slides will be up on the website later today. But the principal thing I take away from that quote is that there are ways to engage with today's generation and that could very well refer to anyone under the age of 50. To engage with them, the key is to know their values. Now, there are many values we could pick on and we try to engage with many of them in this congregation, but this morning of particular relevance are are three from the nine that my friend listed in our project. Spirituality, the experimental or experiential, and authenticity. So these younger generations are not interested in religious duty, or more knowledge for the sake of knowledge. They are not interested in forms or acts of religion. But what they may be open to is a faith that makes a real difference in life but which is also experiential, which can be lived, which can be experimented with. Now when it comes to their desire for an experiential spirituality, I wonder if we sometimes scoff at that or denounce it as part of Western hedonistic culture, a culture that just seems to seek one experience after another. But yet I wonder if we have always sought this out across the ages. For example, we have our well-loved psalms, Psalm 42. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? Or Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his name's sake if we're brutally honest, to attempt to understand these Psalms without involving some experiential dynamic simply guts all meaning from them. And so if we're honest, we also want to experience God. We want our souls refreshed by God. We want led and helped and provided for, but I wonder if we actually believe these words if we expect God to follow through on them? Or do we just settle for the comfort of nice words, but without the comfort of God himself? And if this is the case with today's generation, then then maybe today's generation is not as hedonistic as we might think. Maybe they are simply not willing to settle for concepts and flowery words And instead, they want to see and know God as a true being. Spirit, though he might be, a real presence with us. And maybe all that terrifies you. Maybe it confounds you. Maybe you appreciate that, okay, this is what young people might want and expect. and It's what they and we do hunger for, but I don't know how to join up the dots. I'm not sure how that hunger and expectation might be met. Well, I have some good news for you. Our very familiar parable, the parable of the prodigal father, reveals a God who wants to provide the very answers and needs of our moment in history, our missional moment. In the midst of the parable, we read these words. But while he, the younger son, was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms round him and kissed him. Now, we've looked at just about every word and phrase in this verse. The watching and waiting of the father, the compassion the father felt when the son returned and that he couldn't help but run to his child. And we have looked at what comes after this the robe, the ring, the response of the elder son. But we have skimmed over the words, threw his arms round him and kissed him. The father threw his arms round him and kissed him. In these very words, we see a God, Father God, who's ready to draw close, embrace us and be affectionate, be demonstrative in his relationship with us. Now you may very well ask me and you might want to pick up with me after the service, Scott are you making a mountain out of a molehill here? Are you turning what is parable into allegory? But as we have seen, Jesus is very deliberate in his storytelling and he draws on the customs of his day and ensures that this parable is as packed full with meaning about his father as possible. So I don't think it stretches the purpose of the parable to take some time and focus on these words. For in truth, they are picked up and expanded upon by the rest of the New Testament. Let me show you. For example, we read in Ephesians 3 today, I pray that you may have power to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of, of God. Here Paul speaks of knowing the love of Jesus, the love of God, such that we are filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Earlier in Ephesians, the fullness of God refers to the way God makes His presence and power felt through Jesus. And so in experiencing Christ, Christians experience the fullness of God, His presence and His power. Paul is praying that they will experience a greater measure of the divine presence in their lives such that they partake of God's very own being and become like Him. Now as Paul makes clear in elsewhere, this is an ongoing process, but it is experiential nonetheless and we tend to gloss over those nuances and uncomfortable truths, however, once again we see a God who is ready to draw close, embrace us and be demonstrative in His relationship with us. Or, let's take John chapter 17 and part of Jesus' prayer, at this point He's starting to pray for all believers. And he says, Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you and they, that is current and future disciples, know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and I myself may be in them. Again, we must gloss over or twist these words if we are to take away any sense of God being close, embracing us, or being demonstrative in his relationship with us. Or what about Paul's words to the Romans? And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. Now, Paul is not simply meaning here that we are to love like God, that we are to have a loving heart. For then, it would have little relevance to hope. You don't have hope because you are loving towards other people. No, you have hope because you have something within you that sustains you. And what sustains you, sustains the Christian, is God's very own love. A love, which Paul says here, Is poured into our hearts, the center of our being, not simply as knowledge into our minds, where it can be kept as a nice concept, but rather it is poured here so that it is known deep in our being and able to nourish true and lasting hope. So, once again, we see that the wider teaching of the New Testament is of a relationship with God where He draws close, He embraces, He is demonstrative. He is not distant, He is not cold. He is the Father who threw His arms around the younger son and kissed Him. And likewise, likewise, God wants to come close, embrace us, and be demonstrative. Jill and I were married at the age of 22, she looks as gorgeous as ever, I have slightly less hair, (laughs) but I'm still just as fit, honest, and um, we were engaged at 21, Uh, we were engaged in Paris, and uh, I had talked to her dad and asked for his permission before we went there, and uh, I pretty much made the promise that we would wait until after university to get married John. Uh, Jill's about to go into our final year, that wouldn't be sensible, um, I've still got two and a half years of uni to go, um, so we'll wait, a year and a half or so. So we get engaged and we come back home, lots of celebration and uh, encouragement and uh, Jill and I are mulling over, when do we get married, is it a year and a half's time once you finish uni, is it sooner, and probably because we were quite young, we're keen on the sooner option. And. Uh, so we're, we're bouncing things around and we're really wrestling with it we're not sure what to do and so one night I, I can picture it we're sitting uh, in um, the kind of Morningside area just outside my flat where I was a student and we decided to pray it's probably about nine o'clock at night and we began praying and all I can tell you is that the atmosphere changed it felt like God just descended it was palpable and in the prayer time, that prayer time, we are just praying out loud together, and um, it felt like there was this brick wall in front of me if, I was to pr- if we were to push forward with going for six months. There was just this brick wall, and it'd be, if you do that, Scott, it, it, it's not with me. You're, you'd just be hitting a brick wall. Uh, and so I shared that with Jill, and we're talking it through, and, and there's a real sense of feeling gutted with that. that oh, don't want to wait six months don't want to wait a year and a half, it wanted to be six months and we continue praying, we continue talking and we reach that point where we realize actually God we we need to submit our agenda to to your agenda God and whatever you say we'll go with, if it's six months, if it's 18 months we'll go for it and in that moment something changed because we carried on praying and it felt like that brick wall was now gone and what I think was happening in that moment was God was saying actually go for six months I'm I'm with you in that but the key thing you need to do is submit to me and not just make this decision on your own because you're going to need that for the rest of your marriage and 14 years later I can testify to that. Um, We have had to submit to the Lordship of God again and again. So the brick wall disappears and we feel that God's blessing is on us to get married for in six months time we go back home talk to our parents they're not overly keen on the idea. Um, f- just about opposing it, almost. Um, but we, we go ahead and do it. It is seven days after my birthday, on the 2nd of September, so I can count my fingers. Uh, so it's nice and easy to remember. And uh, so we get married, we have a great day, and Jill looks gorgeous, and I've got more hair. <laughs> Six, seven months later, two of Jill's grandparents die, within a month of each other, one on each side of the family tree. And they would not have been there if we had waited and we would not have the memory of them participating in that, they, it would have been a real, a real detriment to, to that day and uh, I remember Jill's mum turning around shortly after their death and saying, I'm glad you got married when you did, I'm glad you got married when you did and all because God drew close and he embraced us and he was demonstrative in his relationship with us. he cared and he gave us that encouragement because we would have probably just went with the the 18 months because that was the wise thing to do. Jill's going into fourth year of uni, who gets married going into their honours year? It's mental but because we knew God was in it we went for it and it was fine. Father God draws close, he embraces us, he demonstrates his love to us and but how does he do that? And how will today's younger generation come into that experience of God they of what they yearn and expect for? Well, whether it be Ephesians 3 or Romans chapter 5 or John's gospel from chapter 3 to chapter 20, in all these places and in every portion of the New Testament, it is by the person of the Holy Spirit that we are given help to know Father God's love, to know his nearness and embrace. Romans 5 was maybe the most succinct from our examples today God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us notice a few things here Paul refers to the Holy Spirit who has been given who a person it's easy to slip into referring to the spirit as it because we're tempted to think of the spirit as a force or an energy or some kind of ghostly presence But the clear teaching of the scriptures is that the Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is God's personal presence amongst us. He is one of the three persons of God Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God, three persons. Notice what else Paul says here that the third person of God, the Holy Spirit, has been given to us. Has been given. As in, this has already happened. You maybe didn't realize that when you signed your name on the line, becoming a Christian, but you have been given the Holy Spirit. And it's been given to us, to any person who claims the title Christian and Jesus as their Savior and Lord. If you claim to be a Christian, the Holy Spirit, the personal presence of God has been given to you and resides in you, in your heart. You are now a living temple of God's presence, as Paul says to the Corinthians. So why am I laboring this point? Well, as we have seen, the Holy Spirit is the means by which Father God helps us to know His love, His nearness and embrace. This is given, as we have seen, to each and every Christian and so to each and every one of us is given the means by which to know the Father's love, to know His nearness and embrace just like the younger son. And it will be by that same Holy Spirit, the third person of God, that the Father's love, His nearness and embrace will be imparted to those younger generations who want a faith that is more than mere words on a page or good morals and religious duty. But here's the thing. Can we each speak of knowing the Spirit's work in our lives? It doesn't have to be a story like mine, but can we each speak of knowing the Spirit's work in our lives? For young people today, it isn't enough to point to an old book and claim it as truth. As the old example or phrase goes, you might be the only Bible they read. What are they going to see and hear from you? They want to know that these words, these old, old words, have come alive in your life. They want to see and hear them in reality, not just in black and white on a page. I came across a helpful illustration this week, a story is told of a father during the Second World War. As war broke out in 1939, his wife gave birth to their first child, a son. Not long afterwards, the father went off to fight in the war. He was away for more than five years. During that time, the child grew up without ever knowing his father personally. His mother, trying to keep his dad's memory alive, would engage in a ritual every evening at bedtime. She would say prayers with her child and then invite her son to kiss daddy goodnight. A photograph of his father stood on the mantelpiece on the other side of the bedroom. The boy would get out of bed, walk across the floor, climb onto a chair, and then kiss the photograph of his father. After the end of the war, the dad eventually came home. The boy was now five or six years old, and there was a rather strange and awkward meal with his wife and child on his first evening home. At bedtime, the three of them went upstairs and said prayers. The mother, as she had done faithfully for the previous five years, invited her son to kiss his father goodnight. The boy promptly got out of bed, crossed the floor, climbed onto a chair and kissed the picture." What's the lesson for us this morning? It's this, don't settle for second-hand relationship. Don't settle even for second-hand religion. We should and must pursue a real relationship with God, a real, authentic relationship with God by His Holy Spirit, the third person of God, His very presence amongst us. Because a dynamic life of faith is not meant to be the reserve of the few who can write books and amass fortunes, a dynamic life of faith where we know the Father's love, nearness and embrace is meant to be the bread and butter of all God's people for the Holy Spirit has been given to one and all who claim Jesus as Saviour and Lord. And so the Holy Spirit is there ready to lead us into the Father's embrace. And if we want to help the younger generation see that the Christian faith meets their hunger and expectations, then we must be ready to share our own stories, our own stories of faith an interaction with this living God who is spirit and be ready to point them to him, to the God who is ready to draw close, embrace them and be demonstrative. Now, there probably isn't a quick fix to this. It's going to take time and it will take some learning and maybe even some unlearning of previous ideas. It will likely involve us going deeper in our own faith in our own journey with God, of being willing to admit, surprise, surprise, that there's more to God and the life of faith than we ever imagined and possibly have ever experienced. Imagine if you've experienced and know everything about God already. It makes God a bit dull, does it not? Come on, there has to be more. And thank God there is. And to help towards that, Uh, The discipleship team are planning an alpha course for the autumn session, beginning on the 18th of September and running to the end of November. The alpha course is a great way to explore or re-explore some of the core aspects of the Christian faith. And so we're giving you three months' notice to get it in your diary, hopefully, to come along in the hope that you'll be there and take a new step in the adventure of faith by giving alpha a try. But the discipleship team also hope that some of us might consider inviting friends, family or neighbours to the Alpha Course. Our weekend of invitation last week was really just the beginning of the process. We all need to regularly invite others to come and find out more about this God who wants to draw close, embrace us and be demonstrative. And so maybe the next step in the adventure. Is for us to invite someone to Alpha, to invite someone to come see that the hunger and expectation they have of God can be found in this God who has revealed Himself as Father, Son and Holy Spirit and who is ready, so very ready to throw His arms round and embrace all who return to Him. May it be so. Amen.